This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to iFanboy Explode with writer Rick Remender of Strange Girl, Uncanny X-Force, and Venom. Intentions like oh. 
welcome to another edition of iFanboy Talks Explode. My name is Ron Richards, and this time around we're talking to a familiar voice, uh, that of writer Rick Remender. And the reason why we got together to talk was to talk about the upcoming release of The Strange Girl on the Bus, which collects his creator-owned uh, series that was published by Image Comics about four years ago, uh, and collects the entire run in a beautiful on-the-bus edition. And Rick has been looking back on the project, and we wanted to talk about it, kind of revisit the origins and that sort of thing. In addition to Strange Girl, we talk about Uncanny X-Force and Venom, his two big projects as Marvel, um, and what the reaction to those have been, um, and I geek out a little on the X-Men side of things, so, you know, I'm, pr- I'm prone to do that, so deal with it. Um, all right, so let's get right into it with Rick. I'm here with writer Rick Remender. How you doing, Rick? Uh, well, whatever, dude. Get on with the interview. <laughs> oh, you're going to big time. It's, apparently, everybody likes to big time me now. That's <laughs> well, look, I don't have to, I have to, I have a 2 o'clock, a 7 o'clock, a 6 I got to reschedule my three thirty lunch appointment for this this fucking waste of time. What are we talking about today? Which the what? big money, the big <laughs> the, 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 the big money the big, job, the big money the big money job exactly. No, well, I wanted to take some time to catch up with you on some of your Marvel work on Venom and on Candy X Force. But first, actually, I was going over the new releases coming out from Image, and we saw that one of my favorite books of all time is getting the omnibus treatment, and that is Strange Girl. And so I thought it would be a good time to talk to you about and kind of revisit that old project uh, of Strange Girl from Image Comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Strange Girl and Fear Agent were the the yeah. two babies. You know, yeah. they got they got the most love. Uh, and Strange Girl was actually the first ongoing series I ever wrote all by my lonesome. Oh. And so uh, I have a I have a special place in in the uh, in the pit of my fetid heart. <laughs> you never forget your first time. So um, so for those uh, for those people out there who who never heard of Strange Girl, don't know what Strange Girl is. What what was Strange Girl? What was Strange Girl? Well, I mean, Strange Girl lasted, I guess, about 20 issues. It was an uh, ongoing series at Image that focused around a young girl who was left behind after the rapture took place. Um, so her family, her father was a, um, was a minister, and her family were very, very pious uh, uh, Christians. And the, um, um, <clears throat> the rapture... Uh, happens so one day uh, little little punk rocker Beth comes home and uh, is disobeying her parents and questioning their uh, their authority and um, uh, it, it, the, the conversation is interrupted by the uh, voice of God calling up the faithful for the rapture and uh, the premise of the thing was sort of built around the idea of what if the rapture actually happened the way they say it will happen. And what would the world be like afterwards, and what would it be like for somebody who wasn't sure why they were even left behind? There are so many rules uh, as to why. And I, I tried to take a somewhat, uh, I'm an agnostic, and I try to take a somewhat centric point of view where I just point out, you know, when I was reading about the rapture, when I was coming up with the book, I guess in 2003 or 2004, um, and I was reading about the rapture. It just seemed like like what happened afterwards with like the Antichrist and all this stuff it was such a perfect like Dungeons and Dragons fantasy scenario. Totally. Um, and so really, it started off where I was like, I had no aspirations of doing anything lofty or theological. I just was like demons. <laughs> and then as I got into it, I I, I slowly sort of sunk into. Um, you know the ex- the theological exploration to where by the end of it I'm having a conversation with God, um, and uh, and uh, I, I, I I'm I'm really proud of it. I think that the uh, you know the series is a it, it shows a you know there's a lot of growth throughout it um, as it was my first ongoing, and um, I think it's a, a satisfying uh, satisfying conclusion 
to, uh, you know, geez, what was it? I guess it took us three years, three years wow. to put it together. And it, it's the first time I worked with guys like Jerome Pena and Eric Nguyen and Nick Stackle. And there's just a, a ton of terrific artists in there. Yeah, I can't believe it was that long ago. It literally feels like just the, like recently that I was picking up the trades and discovering it for the first time. And it was one of those books, again, much like Fury Agent, that once people picked up, they like would ravenously get the rest of the trades because they just they really liked what they read about it. Um, you know, in term, you know, you t- dealing with the rapture and religion and theology and demons and stuff like that, it really had the kind of a lighthearted kind of feel to it, where it almost you know you really got behind your protagonist and like was that did you balance the heaviness with the personality of of the characters? Like, how was that something that you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, you know, it, 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 it was. And I think that one thing that was really important to me, because it was a little bit heavy, was, I, as a joke, came up with, um, I, I forgot who, I was talking to my buddy Joe, who uh, I was sharing a studio with at the time, and I was talking to him about um, how to how to lighten it up a bit. And I, I, I think I joked that, like, I should do what all the Disney movies did in the 90s and add a cute, a cute like, demonic sidekick. <laughs> and... Um, I was like, and he'd always be making jokes, and he'd be drinking, and he'd be all boozy, and and then I kept going with it. I'm like, he's always trying to touch her on the butthole or kiss her <laughs> boobies, and because he's a demon, you know, and he's like, oh, wicka wazzle, wazzle whistle, and let me touch Dookie, and you know, and I I, I remember writing it. I was, uh, I was drawing this uh, book at Dark Horse, uh, man with the screaming brain at the time, and I remember I wrote on one of the pages. Uh, like cute sidekick, you know, the cute demon sidekick who's drunk and always trying to touch her boobs, and you know, it was just, it was just a, it was a, a kind of a, a, a way to, and you know, it started off as a joke, but man, like so many of the things that I end up putting in the stories, it's those ideas, the ones that seem completely ridiculous, that I always sort of end up gravitating towards as that should be in the book, and so Blodo was born from that as the sort of uh, cute demonic alcoholic sidekick who. Uh, no, he's not really alcoholic. He's just a, a fun-loving little friend, I guess. <laughs> well, according to Wikipedia, he's described as vulgar and sarcastic. <laughs> I know. I don't, and, and I'm, and I don't, I don't have any part of my. There's no part of me that is either of those things. So I don't know how I managed. I know, it's shocking. <laughs> so, um, uh, now, what what I thought, I, I was thinking about Strange Girl recently, actually, because I don't, I don't know how, you, you mentioned that you're agnostic and probably not very religious, but the rapture was supposed to happen uh, this past May. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so as we got closer to the rapture, did you kind of uh, reminisce about what you wrote in Strange Girl and kind of for a moment wonder if you predicted it right? Or? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I was just looking forward to the boom in book sales. You know? I mean, that was how I got... That was how I got Image and, and Stevenson and everybody on board. I'm like, hey, guys, first of all, if the rapture happens, you want an omnibus out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were like, well, you know, I don't know what the rapture. And I was like, look, man, there's a dude who says it's going to happen. He spends all his money to tell everybody to spend their money to get ready for it. Nobody would do that if it wasn't going to happen. And, uh, uh, you know, we banked on it. And poor image because now they've uh, you know they've agreed to do this hardcover omnibus and right. uh, well well the well, last i checked the rapture got uh, it's delayed now it's going to be october that's the last i heard so oh that's great still so the chance. book will be out yeah <laughs> so so we'll, we'll be able to exploit the rapture if i could exploit anything it would be the, i would love to exploit the rapture <laughs> so be a good name for like a band wouldn't it exploit the rapture total like 18 year olds like just out of high school <laughs> It sounds like it's a better album title, I think, Exploit the Rapture. 
Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it has to be like a real self-serious band, you know. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> so they um, take it real seriously. Now, do you want to move on with the interview, or do you want to talk about? Well, it? we can uh, we can talk about band names if you want. That's totally cool. I think Vlodo would be a good band name too. <laughs> I just thought Exploit the Rapture would be good, and you didn't seem to think so. so maybe well, I thought we it was a better album it. name. I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah, man, maybe we shouldn't have a band. You know, it's like when you came up with Indie Your Mom or whatever it was, and I was all like, that's not. That's not. What are we like? A like a like a psychedelic jam band? Come on, man! And you were all like, "Oh, where's my Birkenstocks?" <laughs> and it was all like 1992 and stuff. Remember that? I do remember. Yeah, those are good times. Uh, Spin Doctors, man, they were great. Uh, <laughs> 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 Anyway, so um, so in the time of putting out the book, you know, and um, kind of going back to when it was coming out, did you ever get any religious readers come up to you and and like take it too seriously or be you know insulted by it or whatever? Was there any any sort of response from people who this could actually touch you know based on their beliefs? No, no I had more people. I had more people want to kill me because I turned the Punisher into Frankenstein for for eight eight months yeah. than I. Than, no, I, nobody. Actually, nobody. I didn't. I, I'm. You know, I'm thinking. I, you know, I really did try to handle it from a from a, a moderate standpoint. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't. I'm not making fun of anybody's beliefs. Not here, anyway. I saved that for my private time. Um, but it, it was something that I wanted to. I, I just didn't want it to be another sort of like, you know, um, like. Uh, somebody pointing their finger at the dum-dums and going like, yeah, look at they believe in this bullshit. Right. Um, I just wanted to take their ideas of what they thought would happen and, and tell a story in it. And then throughout that, the character Bethany has to understand why she was left behind. Um, and then, of course, the, the sort of goal in the story is that there's one last gateway to heaven that's open in, in Vatican City. It's the last gateway to heaven. And she thinks if she can get there, she can get to heaven and see her family and her, and her friends again. And along the way, she has to wonder, does she want to get into heaven? And it, it really is, there's a lot of metaphor in there for, you know, what I felt like growing up as a punk rock kid and, and sort of the black sheep of, of a, you know, my mom's family are all Mormons, and I'm not, and never, my dad wasn't, and, you know, my mom sort of broke away from it all. And so by the time, you know, growing up amongst all of that, um, I, I, I never fit in with that and always felt sort of like an outcast, but of course... Uh, you know, with people like your grandmother and people that, you know, are, are close to you, you, you still want their acceptance. So there were, you know, and then there was always, um, growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, um, in the mid eighties and, and running around with a shaved head with pineapple bangs and, you know, <laughs> being, being a skate punk back then, you know, you got fucked with fairly frequently by, you know, football truck guys and, and, you know, um, um, you know, Mexican gangster guys, and you know, it was, it was South Phoenix was kind of a bummer place to be in, in the mid '80s if you were a punker. Um, but so I, a lot of it is dealing with sort of uh, you know feelings of being um, excluded and just that sort of that general angst that we all feel growing up on some level. Um, so a lot of it I didn't even realize until halfway through writing it was really me sort of exploring. Um, was me sort of you know, exploring a part of my, my myself and feeling ostracized and sort of excluded and you know um, and, and and you know so it starts off as a character who's seeking out something that rejected her and then along the way wondering why do I do I even want this thing or you know right is this, is this what I'm supposed to want and I think that there's you know there's 
know, a lot of metaphor there. Oh, cool. So, um, uh, so you mentioned that you worked with uh, artists like Eric Nguyen and Jerome Pena and things like that. So, when you uh, launched a series, did you like? Did you and uh, Nguyen was the original artist on the the, the first uh, on the the early part of the series? Was it you and him made the pitch, or did you have the idea and then Image helped you find the artist? Like, how did you? How did the art uh, develop on Strange Girl? It was actually a thing that I was uh, that I'd put together, and and Corey Walker was going to draw it, um, and it's the book. Um, so Corey and I, and if you look in the back of the first trade, there's a bunch of Corey sketches. Um, Corey did some, some character sketches, and we were getting underway. And um, uh, Corey, Corey pulled out, um, and I don't even remember why. Um, but Corey, Corey had to leave the project, and, um, and so I went out and found Eric. Um, and, yeah, but, you know, like anything with, with a book like this, um, I still consider Eric my co-creator because he's the guy who drew this on spec as did all these guys, you know, the money on the book was, was not great. Um, and it, it was selling decent numbers and image sure got behind it and did the very best they could, you know, but given that it was a story of, with theological tone and, and about a punker girl with a demon sidekick, it, it, it definitely didn't, you know, it definitely wasn't something that was, um, that, that fit into, uh, what most comic book people were looking for, I guess. But, um, so I, I consider Eric, you know, the, the co-creator because he's the guy who sat down and, and drew the book on spec. Um, so you know, we, we we shared the rights on it down the middle, like I do with all these things. Um, and uh, and so he did the first six um, issues, and then Harper Jayton, um, who I came up with, he was my uh, one of my collaborators on Blackheart Billy, and the guy I did Captain Dingleberry with, and an old friend of mine from animation. He came in and did a really gorgeous uh, double-size issue that gave sort of Bethany's, um, you know, set her up in her origin for issue seven, and it's uh, um, still something I'm incredibly proud of, that story. And then uh, Jerome Pena came in. It was the first thing Jerome and I did. It was actually while he was waiting on me for Fear Agent script. Um, I, I, I got him for an issue, and then, uh, and then uh, after he was done with that, off he went. And then Eric Nguyen came back to finish off that second arc. I think he did a couple issues. And then uh, the third artist was Nick Stackle, who's a great artist and a good friend. And then um, we had a, a fill-in by Micah Ferrator. And then Peter Bergting, who's a, uh, a brilliant artist, came in for the final four issues. Um, so we were really fortunate. And, you know, given how little these guys were making, and Image did the best they could, uh, you know, they, they were definitely losing money to, to keep the artists uh, paid at all towards the end there. Um, everybody just did it as a labor of love. And... Um, you know, I think that there's there's, there's something uh, I don't know I, when when people are putting in all that time and energy onto a project and it's not for financial means. It always holds, uh, you know, for me anyway. And I've, I've got a number of projects that are like that. It, it holds some, a special place. Sure. Yeah. So so is it getting you getting a little emotional as you're revisiting it, putting together this omnibus of image, and getting ready to put it back out there in the world, or is it kind of do you see yourself, you know, geez, now five years, you know, five six years later, do, is it kind of like you need to reflect in your career and kind of see how far you've come since then? Yeah. You know. I mean, that's the thing is that I, I, technically, you know, I've written a lot. A lot. Since, yes. <laughs> um, and technically. I get, you know, I'm always studying and always trying to get better and always trying to, to, to master this thing um, so that I can, you know, 
I think I, I'm, 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 I guess it's, it's not a personality trait that I was aware of until recently, but I'm somewhat competitive and <laughs> I want, I want to be great at this. And, you know, I also want to be great at it to like validate all of the life energy I've dumped into it. You know, it, I kept leaving real jobs to do comics. I kept leaving animation and video games and, you know, good money with health benefits and 401k to keep doing comic books. And I realized it, it, it's, it's really something that I, that I just love doing. And I look back on Strange Girl and I look at this thing that, like, after issue four or five, it had no business keep, you know, there was no reason to fight it out financially. Yeah. But I had this outline, and I had this story, and I really liked where it went, and I liked what it had to say, and I kept, you know, writing notes down about, oh, you know, I knew Bethany was going to get, you know, and, and there was going to be uh, a face-to-face with God, and I just wanted to write that, and it was really important to me, and I, I, I had a lot of fun visuals along the way, and I kept selling other artists on it who would get excited and come on board. Um, but, of course, when you look back on something, it's that that's that far back in your career I and mean, it's not Jesus I mean I guess what is it it's only really f- four years at this point that it wrapped up um, uh, the, my first instinct as I was reading it as I reread the whole thing is that the first two issues you know like all I could do was tear them apart <laughs> like oh my god you know we don't really get to know her until the third issue and you did this wrong and oh my god verbose you know why don't you edit your goddamn dialogue egotist and all of the shit that I all of the shit that I've picked up and learned along the way I, I, that I didn't know then. I, I, so on a technical level, I'm, I'm sitting there and just hating it. I'm like, ah, you know, God, nice transition, fuckhead. Why don't you just, you know, be more jarring and abrupt? Ah, Jesus Christ, page turns all fucked up. And I realized that, that this really, that this really cynical adherence to only seeing the, the value in the craft has sort of robbed me in some way of my appreciation of the heart and emotion of a thing. And I, I stepped back from it and I said. You know, can you stop being, uh, uh, you know, this, this, you know, because it stops me from enjoying movies and television shows too now. Like, you know, you write enough and you learn enough about how it's supposed to be, then you just sit around with looking down your nose at everybody who doesn't get it just right. You know, like, it, 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 you do, you know, when, especially when you, when you start getting into like structure stuff, you know. Um, but when I stood back and I reread it, because really it was only, I think it's the first issue that I have, that I, I tried to do way too much in the first issue, in my opinion, looking back on it. Um, and then once you get past that, the story really takes off and you get to know the characters and it's a little verbose in the first trade, but I think I, I clean that up along the way and start figuring my, 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 uh, my, you know, myself out a little bit, but the heart of the thing and the characters and the, uh, the, the story and the journey they're on, um, I'm still incredibly proud of that stuff from the very beginning. And, um, you know, while there might've been some purity of intention issues, um, with, with some of, you know, some of what happened in the first issue, um, I, I, I think that that was, it's, it's it, like, I can't look back on anything and like it. I look back on everything I've ever done, and I can appreciate the art in it, but I usually <laughs> always hate hate everything that I've done. Um, so... Which is not unheard of with the writers. You guys are very the some. I'm always shocked at how hard you guys are on yourselves when you do good stuff, and you know can't take a compliment or can't admit that you did good. You know, like so, which is good because I think that keeps you edgy. It keeps you, you know, trying to do better on the next project and that sort of thing. But, um, but it's nice it's to self loathing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it's getting the omnibus treatment. So it's gonna be one hardcover volume with all four trades. Is there any other extras, or what else can people look forward to if they pick up the book? Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a bunch of um, sketchbook stuff that hasn't been seen, a cover that was never used, um, a bunch of pinups, um, 
you know, uh, there'd be a four. I'm writing. I written. I wrote a foreword, sort of exploring where I was at when I was writing it and what it means to me. Um, and um, you guys are going to run that on the iFanboy site. I yep. think it's. Uh, yep. I tried to be. I, when you're writing that kind of thing, it's really hard to be super honest. It, you know, like it's really hard not to, as a writer, fall into the trap of like trying to manipulate people's perception of you, as opposed to just being, you know, uh, a quivering mass of humanity like most of us are. Um, <laughs> well, that- so when I wrote that forward. I, re- I totally erased the first draft. Yeah. Um, it went back in and, I, I, and, and rewrote it in, in a way that, you know, um, I tried to be honest with it and, you know, look at, like, where I was at when I was writing it and what it felt like to see the numbers go down and stuff like that. Did you, did you um, by any chance, happen to read any of the recent Starman on the buses that DC put out? The, the recent which one? The Starman on the buses that DC uh, the James Robinson yep. Starman. Yeah, uh, I, I I have the singles. I read it when it came. Oh, out. Okay, well if you you might want to in that topic of forwards check out because in each volume of the on the buses James wrote an afterword. So they had some. They had like Goyer. Well, not that they Goyer, but they had like Jeff Johns. They had everybody like write forwards. But then Robinson wrote an afterward, which is very similar to what you're saying, like an honest kind of assessment of where he was at the time. And I got to admit, it was one of the most honest, like put it all out there kind of expressions of creator in the process of doing something i was to a point where i when i saw james at a con i'm like you revealed a lot in that you cool with this like it was just it was very yeah. honest and almost startling <laughs> yeah james is terrific and yeah. starman was was a big influence on me yeah. and 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 especially the longevity of it it was something that was a testament to like um, you know, seeing something through to such a level, um, yeah. And James is, is 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 a terrific influence. So he's a terrific guy too. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's hard. It's hard. You know, it's hard to be really super honest about that stuff and put yourself out there. It's hard to uh, it's hard to do it in, in books. You know, where you know reveal parts of yourself in scripts. And Strange Girl was definitely something that, that has a lot of personal moments in there that um, were, were difficult to write. Um, it's it, it's but it's at the same time I I just think about I always go back to the the thought of if I'm crossing the street tomorrow and I see a bus careening with a flat with a blown tire and it's going to smash me in two seconds I don't want to think like I wrote a bunch of bullshit to manipulate people's perception of me so they thought I was cooler than I was clunk. <laughs> That's probably a good way to not want to be. I think that's fair. <laughs> I probably wouldn't think that. <laughs> I probably wouldn't think that. But you get you get the idea. Like yeah. you know, like what's the life is short, and we're only here for so long. And you know what? I mean, I look at the writers I respect and the things that I sort of have always you know um, react, responded to, and it's always honest. Mm. It's always somebody who's who's putting it out there, and because that's where you find true identification that makes that. that it makes you not feel like such a weirdo as a human. And it's, yeah. it's the people who want to sell you some hipster persona or, or some bullshit, you know, um, that, that really kind of detract from that. And, and everybody wants to believe that the other people are, you know, more together and confident and they all have the answers. And, and so there's a, there's a, you know, a population of people who will always be sort of drawn to that stuff. But I would prefer to, you know, to, to show the quivering, insecure weirdo inside and, and you know, let people judge it because it's what I am. Right. All right. Fair enough. Um, so speaking of being the quivering weirdo, um, this is something I don't think we've ever talked about on any of our shows or anything like that. But, um, but for those who don't know, uh, the naming of the trade paperbacks. The naming of the trade paperbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I... I um, and it doesn't really it doesn't really affect the story. It's Not at all. It's trivia. This is trivia. Yeah, it's just trivia. They're all Smiths. They're all Smith songs. Yeah. Um, and that was a 
that was a band. I mean, you know, we've talked we've talked about this millions of times. The Smiths for me were were a, a very important band because again, it was something that was it made me feel like oh, p- other people have these these kinds of thoughts, and and it was music that wasn't just like you know, love you, love you, love you, gonna have some fun. You know, yeah. it was um, it was something that when I found it was after my punk rock days. And I think I needed a change. I think that I needed something that was like punk had sort of lost uh, the voice for me. I think it was like the last punk album I bought before really segueing was uh, the Circle Jerks. Wonderful, and it just felt like everybody was like kind of they'd said what they were going to say, and now they were just trying to find something. And the voice of it was, it just didn't really, it just didn't. It was more sarcastic and making fun of like heavy metal, you know, the the hair metal of the day, and it was just. It just wasn't really talking to me. It just wasn't really speaking to me. So I guess it was like '86, '87 when I segued from from punk into you know um, the, the psychedelic furs and the Smiths and you know Echo and the Bunnymen and, and Love and Rockets and that stuff. Um, probably not an uncommon transition. No, uh, not at all. No, I mean I, it's you know we've talked about it. I mean I grew up you know I was a hardcore kid and then did that for a few years and then I said, okay, well we can run in a circle pit all the time, but this is a little more depth. It has more depth to it. I'm going to listen to this right now. <laughs> so, Just talk, yeah. yeah. And, it, and, it, and it spoke to that other part of you. And yeah. strange girl was sort of that, that other part of me. And you know, the title is a, is a cure song, like strange girl. I mean, you know, yeah. and is, is on kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. And it was one of these things that I remember uh, this girl I had a crush on at the time I was a freshman in high school. I used to sit there and listen to it over and over again. <laughs> um, there was this weird, weird little goth girl that I had gone to school with, and I was just like, "Oh, she's so cool," um, you know. And I, I you know, was, so there's all it's all that all that stuff kind of peppered in there. So it felt, um, I don't know, it felt like it fit to, to name these name the trades after some Smith songs. Yeah, and, th- and did you try to did, did you try to match them up to the songs themselves, or they're just ones that you liked? I mean, because you know, "Girl Afraid," "Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now," "Paint a Vulgar Picture," "Golden Lights" were those story. Uh, suggestive or just you know good titles? Yeah, no, they are story suggestive. I mean, Golden Lights is the very end, and yeah. uh, and, and Paint a Vulgar Picture um, is the one where we go to hell, and that was a really ugly trade. Uh, that uh, I, I'm I'm still crazy proud of that. Um, I'm still you know uh, really proud of the whole thing. Looking back on it, I guess that's I, 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 God, that's so fucking weird to say. I'm so proud of what I did. <laughs> no. I know, it's just such a dicky thing to do to say that. I don't know what else you say. That like, you want to like, I want people to know they'll like it if they buy it. Yeah. Hey, go please go buy this and try something that you don't normally maybe have you know, would try. Anyway, uh, <laughs> well, but that, but that's actually I mean that's something that we've talked a lot about offline and that's uh, you know not on shows and things like that is that you know you're you've gained a lot of popularity at Marvel. You're writing you know top you know top. 10, 25, top 25 books with Venom and X-Force, um, and people don't know that you, you know, a lot of people don't know you had a, a, a vibrant indie career before you went to Marvel. Uh, no, mm. yeah, and uh, they don't, and and, and now, it, there's a weird divide between the two, you know, like indie people now, I stopped being, uh, there's just been, it's weird, there's a weird thing. <laughs> Everybody needs to be adversarial for some reason. Like, I grew up on, on mainstream Marvel comics, and then I made my way, you know, in the early 90s over to Fanagraphics and Slave Labor Graphics, and, and eventually to Drawn and Quarterly, and, and then, you know, really dove into the, to the, uh, to the indie stuff. Um, made my way back to find Love and Rockets and all, all the, you know, all the important cool stuff. But the, um, the divide between the two is odd, and I, I I love the idea that there's people who think that they're because they're buying like um, the like 
Guardians of the Galaxy, they're buying indie books. They, I mean, that, that's real. That's a thing. People think that because they're buying the Marvel books that are just in the top 70 or whatever, that they're really, they're really stretching their muscles there and really <laughs> trying out some, 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 some new stuff. Um, you know, and the, the idea that in, in a, that these books are different, you know, like the reality is, is that the stuff I've done at Marvel and the stuff I've done at, at Image and Dark Horse and IDW and, and all the all the you know and Radical, all the all the books that I do are normally it's just me writing a story and working with an editor to polish it up, and then a great artist comes in and draws it. So um, there's there doesn't need to be, I, you know, I think I get the interconnected universe, and people like that. They like to know that one day this character they're reading here might interconnect with that character there. You, they, they, you, you do. It's interesting to know they're in the same world. I, I, you know, I've gone through many conversations with people trying to discover why, and there's a number of reasons. But it is it is on some level fun to know that, you know, hey, Venom might one day turn a corner and, and come across the Legion of Monsters. Yeah. Not really come across them. I guess that that's probably I should rephrase that. Um, but fight, maybe fight them because that's probably more like what would happen. But anyway, um, I, li- I like I like more just passing them by in the in the supermarket, just like hey, Legion of Monsters, yeah. Yeah. hey, Legion of Monsters, high five, <laughs> keep it real, bros. <laughs> 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 well, they, they used to do that, though. Like, I remember reading, um, I, I was a big Nova fan. I remember reading the old Nova series, and there was literally one issue where Thor flies by in the distance, and the the, the editor's note was, want to see where Thor's going? Check out Thor number 238. Yeah. <laughs> like, and there was no connection to the story whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's where Thor's going. I, I, I like it. I mean, I think that, that I, think people, I think people like the interconnected universe for a reason, but I think that also that they're missing out on self-contained stories in their own universes and things that, that they, they would equally enjoy. Um, and uh, segueing into something like, say, Strange Girl or Fear Agent, which you should go out and purchase after listening to this, or Last Days of American Crime or Triple X Zombies. Any number of amazing creator-owned projects by Rick Remender. Nice. Wait to start pitching. That's excellent. Well, so okay. So moving on from Strange Girl to to your Marvel work. So Venom. We're about what we're five issues in. Um, at least that that have been released. I'm sure you're way more ahead. Are you happy with uh, how Venom has been received? And now that now that it's uh, kind of out into the world. I, I I was terrified of that book. Yeah. I mean, you know, that book was. Um that book was scary. It's again, it's a big iconic thing that everybody likes. You know, everybody likes Venom uh, in theory, but but they're they're uh, they've been he's been all over the board. You know, sometimes he's used to great effect, and some and the character changes so often. It's in the symbiote's always changing, and I really was afraid that it, it could have flopped. Um, but fortunately, I had a really great setup from from Dan Slott. I had a terrific editor in Stephen Wacker. Um, and and the longtime collaborator Tony Moore. So I was surrounded by a nice comfort zone there, and and really, um, you know, Dan had to. If it failed, I could just say, "Well, Dan Slot's idea to put Flash in there." I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I didn't. I didn't come up with that idea, but I sure will take credit when people love it. Yeah. Um, no, I I I, 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 I was uh, I was afraid of the book. Yeah, and um, I found my way into the character. You know, um, I'd never written somebody who was like a true patriot, um, and I like it. I really like writing it. It's a different. It's different than the sort of cynicism that I tend to write if I'm left to my own devices. Um, and of course, you still have to put him through the ringer and keep his life a total nightmare because that's just how I like to write that stuff. Right. But um. But in the midst of it, he's a different character, and he's, you know, he's dealing, I've written characters who are dealing with their alcoholism in, in different ways before, and, and dealing with alcoholic parents, and, and, and fear agent, and this. Um, 
and there, there are there are um, some parable. I mean, there are there are a few bits of connective tissue there in, in terms of, of how the characters um, behave and dealing with alcoholism in general. But um, through Flash, I found a real a, a different angle into it, where I, the focus wasn't like on Heath; it's his own alcoholism, and of course. You know, we, uh, uh, we know bits and pieces that there were some problems with his family. Um, but with, with Flash, the, the, the focus was always very different. Every, you know, when I went back and read the decades worth of, of comics with, with Flash in it, there's so many of these books that, re, you know, revolved around um, Flash's dad being this drunk cop who beat him. And uh, I, so I really wanted to explore that as the cause of, you know, of his bulliness and, and, and how it led to his own alcoholism. And then it started connecting to a lot of really cool stuff where, you know, the symbiote feeds on negative emotions. And, and if he's got an addictive personality and he's a, he's a, a, a veteran who's disabled, um, how easily he would become addicted to a symbiote that offers him not just his legs back, but total mobility and, you know, and superpowers and... Um, I, so it was this one of those things where sometimes when you you know you get the job you're excited by the high concept, and then you start digging in it and trying to put together your connective tissues. It was all there for for this book, and I'm 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 glad that people have responded so well to it. Right. Well, I, I mean, I, and I thought it was I thought it was really interesting, at least you know from my standpoint that you know the books um, Venom's bear, Venom's a costume for all intents and purposes. Right, you know, like, and it really is the book. You know, the book is about Flash, and it's about and and that going deep in that character, and then going way, you know, you know, like really uh, effective and you know, like impactful with the alcoholism and like that. I just go back to what was the first issue when the when he tried to go to the AA meeting and there's no wheelchair ramp. Right. Uh, that was, it was we talked about it on the podcast. I was like, oh man, Rick knows what he's doing. This is amazing. <laughs> it was you know, yeah, like and you did. I didn't. You, you, you with Venom, you expect one thing, and you're swerving it, going another direction, and giving at least in my in my mind a lot more um, to enjoy than just the bang them up, shoot them up, you know, comic book. So, well, cool. yeah. I, I, again, I was just fortunate that that you know what Dan had put together by putting the symbiote, you know, this particular chocolate and peanut butter together, it just it just worked so perfectly in that you've got this character, and 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 it is really a Flash story, except the symbiote story is the B story, and it does the symbiote does have motives, and it is pulling some strings, and it is up to some shenanigans. Uh, and I have I've only been hinting at that, right. but we start to see that we start to see that that's really going to build into something, and maybe Flash isn't as in control of himself as he thinks he is. And I love that aspect of of the whole thing, where he's not entirely he thinks he's making decisions, um, but I think his encounter with Eddie Brock, the uh, anti venom in issue seven, will help shed some light um, on on maybe some other things that are going on, um, and, and and shine a light on the symbiote side of things, which. Obviously, I wanted to build Flash up before before getting into that, but I yeah. think by issue seven we start to see both sides of the picture. And um, and it seems you folded Tom Fowler into the art mix uh, fairly seamlessly um, and quite effectively. I think he's he's been amazing. Yeah, he's one of the best storytellers I've ever worked with. I yeah. mean, it, it's he never puts a giant shot on the page to make sure he can sell it. You know, he never he never makes he he does he's not cramming things in there to make sure that the, that, that he can get fifty more dollars at a convention when he turns the page around. Right. It's 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 like the same thing with Jerome. You know, like everything is in service of the story, and and Tom is just one of these guys who, if it doesn't, it, you know, he's so committed to making sure the story is is seamless and smooth and emotional. Um, that that you know um, 
it's a joy to read a book drawn by him. Um, you know, and I, I have the I have the joy of after writing a script, seeing it come in, and just being like, it's better. It's better than I envisioned it. It's smoother. His camera choices are better than anything I would have imagined, um, and it just gets better and better. I mean, six comes out. It's terrific. It's this. It's this action sequence that we came up with together that kicks off Spider Island. And it literally was like a 34 issue or 34 page script that we whittled down to 20. It's just wow. boom, 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 boom. Uh, and then um, seven and eight, I just uh, yeah, Tom. Oh, Tom Fowler. <laughs> oh, Tom. Yeah, seven and eight are just absolutely spectacular. I yeah. mean, I, I can't wait for people to see those. Cool, excellent. So now, one thing I wanted to ask you. One thing I was curious about was that the you know the we've seen this before in the past where a really good creator and a really good cre- creative team launch a, a promising book, uh, Marvel, and then f- f- let's say, oh, I don't know, six issues in, uh, gets dropped into an event. And um, and I've heard you know sorts of other creators who said you know it really you know changed the direction that I was taking it in stuff like that. So now Venom is getting pulled into Spider Island. Are you worried about losing the momentum that you built up with Venom by having to deal with the Spider Island event, or is it folding into your plan seamlessly? And and it just you would tell these stories anyway. If Spider Island wasn't happening. Yeah. No. I mean, here's the here's the great thing about it. I have a story that I had written that I was going to be telling through these issues. Um, when I just outlined it, and when Spider Island came up, that was obviously my first my fear. I got on the phone and spent a couple hours on the phone with with Wacker and Slot, and um, we. I mean, Dan was terrific. Dan, in no way, he wasn't trying to hoard all the best moments. He was like, no, 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 you take this, and oh yeah, 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 you build that. Um, you know, like Venom is a huge, huge part of the storyline. Um, but beyond that, I still have the other story that I was telling taking place. It's just instead of having the roadblock of the villain that I was going to write, it's the roadblock of Spider Island. Um, but the rest of the story, that in, in issue five isn't a standalone. Issue five is the first part of the story. Um, th- that story is the same, and that story gets exactly what it was going to get, um, except now it's built around the insanity of Spider Island. And while Venom has these huge responsibilities to save New York, um, and it worked out perfectly. Like, I, you know, I obviously had the same fears. Like, you know, that, that and, and I wasn't in any way forced to be a part of it. It was something that, you know, uh, Wacker was super cool. He's like, what do you think? And I was like, you know, well, let's talk about it. And as soon as we did, um, I was like, well, this just works great. And you know when you get off a phone call, if you're excited to write and, and you love what you're, what you're talking about, that it's going to be well-received. You can normally you can normally tell what's going to be well received and what isn't based on the excitement after it's been sort of cooked up. Right. Cool. Well, that's that's good to hear. I mean, I know because that's that is the kind of the concern with with these kind of events is that we've seen you know like I, I just think of Peter David and X Factor who was it was doing this great little thing and then all of a sudden he had to deal with mutant crossover after mutant crossover and it just really destroyed the momentum of the book. So it's good to, that you guys are avoiding that from happening again. So excellent. Um, yeah, and when it. Anyway, yeah, I, and when it, the way it came together, and I, we've all worked really hard. I mean, I'm outlined up to issue 24 at this point. I like to work well. I like to work well in advance so that I know what's coming. And when you know what in, what's coming, you can you can you can integrate these sorts of things into your story while keeping those threads alive, and and, and not losing the momentum, yeah. which you know we, we've done really well. And and 
you know, and then and then we pick back up with some of the Jack O' Lantern Crime Master stuff um, in issue like eleven or whatever. Yeah, I, I gotta admit, I love the villains in Venom. I just lo- I love they're fantastic. The the reveal the uh, and the reveal and Jack O' Lantern and all that, it's just been great. But so you, so a little process question. You said you're outlined up to twenty four issues. So how far ahead are you script wise? I am almost done with fourteen issues. Jesus Christ! <laughs> and we're on. We're about to get six. Like six is what's coming out next, right? Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. So but, you, but all of the villains that we're seeing. I mean, it's it's. I wish I could talk about what I'm building to. Um, he needs his own rogues gallery, Venom, to to stand out. You know, like this can't just be. Uh, if this isn't going to just be a feeble attempt to turn a villain into a hero, if it's going to be Flash and it's going to stay this way for, for a good long while and he's going to matter, he needs a rogues gallery, he needs a supervillain team that are out against him, he needs, he needs to be involved with his own event maybe, you know, he needs to be involved in the greater Marvel Universe. And, and because the book has done so well and everybody has responded so well to it, these things are all, all much easier to accomplish. And, and so that's what we're kind of building to is a much greater presence for Venom in the Marvel Universe. Cool. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to read it. So the other Marvel book that you've been doing, which has been great, which is Uncanny X-Force, um, which uh, – and I don't know if you know this or and, – and I don't mean to embarrass you or anything like that, but I overheard uh, at San Diego um, Jonathan Hickman uh, talking to someone, and they were complimenting him on FF saying it was the best book at, at Marvel, and he told them that, no, they were wrong, that Uncanny X-Force is the best book at Marvel and that they should be reading that. Uh, oh. And that is not uncommon from the buzz on the book. Like, and we talked about this before. I know we talked. To, we talked to WonderCon. I'm just amazed that you take the concept of X Force and turn it into, and honestly, the best X book right now. Um, so you know, you're well in. You you're well into the first year. You were double shipping for several months, right? Yeah, and and we're coming up to some more double ships. Yeah. Uh, coming up here so that's why jerome has been off for a while because he had to get way ahead of schedule i mean i think he's done with four issues now um and uh and then we've got uh um uh tokini working on the next arc so yeah. it's 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 going to be the double ship thing hits hits every so often i i i don't know how it works scheduling wise but i know that we we've been We've been busting our asses to make sure that you know, like the story that's coming out. I mean, we've been, we're we're so so ahead on. I mean, just crazy. I think I'm I'm written up to issue thirty four on that right now. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So like, so how are you? So like, like, are you like when you're doing this? Are you aware that you're writing something special? Like, are you aware that you're like you're you're possibly writing a run that people are gonna look back to and be like that? You need to read that. No. <laughs> That's good then. <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to. I, I, no, because I really, I don't, I had this conversation with, with Dean White last week where I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, I know the art's special. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, I know that I'm, I've gotten, you know, the best you can get out of Jerome Pena and Esad and, and Billy Tannen Brooks. And, and, and I know, you know, with Jerome and Tokini coming back and some other big artists I can't talk about yet that are coming on. And the, I know that I've got a, a wall of artistic science built around it that uh but i also feel like i don't think it's any better than than fear agent or frankencastle like my punisher run i feel is just as strong i don't know i mean like i got just as excited about about frankencastle and i got just as i get just as excited i did about you know when i was writing some of the the building up into the fear agent stuff when when i started to review what was really going on so for me it's like 
You, yeah, I just have no idea. You never have. I have no idea. I just know. I, I like the X Men comics. I grew up with them. I feel like excited about it. I'm really enjoying the job. But like when people say that, I just want to go. And and none of them have ever read Fear Agent. I'm like, God. Well, what if you if you like Venom that Tony Moore and I launched, and you like X Force that Jerome and Jerome and I have been doing, and you know, and go read our Punisher run if you can't yeah. even make it to to a non Marvel or DC book. Because that's Jerome and Tony and I doing a, a huge chunk of that with John Romita Jr. and Jason Pearson and Roman Bashi and two painted issues by Dan Brereton and but they were, I, I think it's I, I do think you know on some level it is the characters you know I do think that um, no but I, I but yeah no I mean yes it's the characters and and you get Wolverine and and there's a lot that comes with it and all stuff like that but I mean I I just I when, whenever I read these issues I go back to when we talked at WonderCon on our video show and you're telling me about how your process with how you've just been you know you wanted to put in this but no does it help the story and you just been you were working really hard to whittle the story down to the crucial thing and I honestly I think that's the key to it is that each issue is just the perfect amount of what it needs to be and it's and each issue, like it's honestly, it's it's risen to the the top of my stack every when it comes out. It's one of the first books I read because I, I want to know what happens next. Um, and I think that the the way you streamline the story is really paying off and really working. Um, well, thank you. Right. I mean, I, 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 I it's it's nice to know that people are enjoying it. It really is. I, I guess I, 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 you know, it is at the same time. I have been doing that for for some time now, and I always do kind of wonder, like. Um, you know, if if people who like X Force would go out and and read Fear Agent, they'd like it just as much. I think. Yeah. You know, like I, I I don't know if it's that different. I don't know if I have, or maybe I, I've progressed in a way that I'm not aware of, and, and there is something. There's a little magic dust in this that wasn't there before. I, or you know, or maybe there's no reason to compare the two. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but thank you. Cool. Yeah, of course. So now, so now, part of it, at least where we are right now with the with the um, Arch, Archangel saga. Um, you're you know dipping your toe back into Age of Apocalypse and th- that sort of thing. Again, you're you know like it's e- and I talked about this with Jason Aaron recently where it's easy to with the X Men's rich history and all the stuff that's out there. It's easy to pull characters, to pull stories, and kind of revisit them or redo them. But you're doing it in a way that is a new and modern and refreshing, but also not fan service and not you know, eye rolling, eye inducing, like it is how delicate of a balance is it to play with those toys and make it to be current and modern and effective? Um, <laughs> I think it's just instinct. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I think that, uh, I, I've got great editors. It started off with Axel Alonso and, and now it's Jody LaHoop. And, um, on X-Force, I, I've, I've, I've been very fortunate in, in those, those guys have, pushed me in some good directions um you know uh nick lowe has had a few suggestions throughout the series that have been terrific so you know um i'd be remiss if i weren't to point out that i do have uh, you know uh, some some great editorial feedback in all of the books that i'm doing at marvel right now um and and that does really matter you know it's easy for us to you know uh um um to bitch about an editor when something doesn't go right, you don't feel like it was true to your intention, and, and it's easy to sort of forget that the editor gave you, a, you know, a good push. I think that the biggest thing for me was Axel in the first arc, where I wanted to get all the toys, and I'm like, okay, the four horsemen's gonna be Namor and Magneto and the Hulk, and then we're gonna put uh, a Storm, you know, and it was just this sort of like, yeah, hey, you get an X-Men book, and I was just running around like a kid, like, and then I want to take uh, uh, Strife comes back, and he he pretends he's Cable, and then and then this guy comes back, you know, and you just I just started 
spewing and, and Axel had to sit me down and, and he goes, look, man, you know, you have a lot of time on this, a lot of things you can do still. He's like, do you really want to make these four horsemen characters existing Marvel characters again? He's like, is that really the best thing you can do? And I was like, no, it's actually terrible. <laughs> I was like, no, I just wanted to write a Magneto story. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, oh, no, it's kind of terrible. And he's like, just create new characters, you know? And so the, the, the push here has been to integrate the new stuff with the old stuff in a way that hasn't been seen and also fleshes out. For me, when I started getting into the apocalypse stuff, um, and I started laying out the first 18 issues and, and, and working this up with Axel and then Jody, uh, it was really important to me to clean up all of that stuff that had happened before and make it feel, uh, uh, I don't know, to, to make it feel like there was a little more um, cohesion, like there was some, some con- like to take all of these different apocalypse pieces, of which there's a lot, you know, I mean, you've got the the Pale Riders, you got the Four Horsemen, you got the Age of Apocalypse, you got Ship, you got Osmandias, Ranamayama, Jim Cham Trimmery, and and Apocalypse has jimmied and fiddled with all these characters, and he's played such a big role. Um, and, you know, and as we were writing it, the big question was like, well, what is Archangel, and why is everybody cool with this thing? You know, um, and so in, in the very first issue, I wanted to show that scene from the mutant massacre where angels being, you know, killed and he's still sort of there, you know, he's still in his mind. He's still sort of stuck on that with those harpoons on the wall. And like, and and like, what's going on with Archangel? Why are they cool with this? Like, Hey, apocalypse made me a psychopath and I'm going to be your friend. Like, cool. Come on in. (laughs) (laughs) Rock and roll, man. You're way more marketable now. Razor wings. (laughs) (laughs) Biotechnics. We're going to rock and roll tonight. Um, and, and, and so um, that led to so many like good ideas that you know Jody and I were beating the thing to death, and 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 um, to make sure that these good ideas were hopefully presented in a way that was worth um, how good we thought the ideas were. And so the first eighteen issues really is very apocalypse centric, but it also tries to um, maybe take some things from the Age of Apocalypse dimension that we don't see here and, and mix them up a little bit and and vice versa, and, and get another look at what Apocalypse is and what he wants, and, um, and, and, and sort of redefine that and move it forward, where uh, it's always, he's always been a celestial servant, uh, and, but I wanted to really clean up what his motives were and, and, and what, the, what, the, what the celestials want from him and what his purpose is and how that connects to, uh, to all of it. So it's a lot of dot connecting with uh, stuff that's gone on in the past that I love doing, and it just happens to also move forward in a new way um, with some, you know, new four horsemen and a, and a an eclectic band of, of, you know, X-Men. And, um, you know, so and we're also taking this approach to a couple of other um, um, X-Villains coming up in the second year cool. where we'll be taking things. And first we start off in Otherworld and um, Captain Britain and Jamie and some cool characters in Betsy's life. Yes. And then, and then we take another, uh, and then we take a real big... Uh, 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 villain and redefine uh, uh, quite a quite a bit of the X X universe there. So um, while I want to renew and and freshen up things that we're all familiar with, uh, the, the the second half of year two is all new characters. Um, it's sort of leaning into people's reaction to the Four Horsemen that, that Jerome and I uh, cooked up, and, and Axel pushing me to to do something new. Um, our, our senior editor, Nick Lowe, has said, you know, he's like, new characters, do something new. And uh, it's, it's fun to dust off and, and reimagine stuff that's already been done. And, but I think by issue, you know, 
28. I've done that quite a bit. So then we're really focusing on um, some Phantom X origin stuff and, and showing some more, st- a lot of stuff about Phantom X um, that we haven't seen, and uh, and then delving into a whole new. Uh, a whole new batch of characters. Cool. You see, now this is—I feel bad for you because this is me being the X-Men fan. It's like this is where I—I I fall out of being professional, you know, media journalist and fall into drooling fanboy to tell me more about. <laughs> you know, about yeah. well, I am too. I mean, that's why it's a great job. I mean, yeah. I am, I am, I am, I am. I love this stuff, so yeah. it's, it's totally understandable. We grew up reading it. Holds up place in your in your nerd heart yeah exactly exactly so are you um are you collaborating at all with kieran and with uh jason on the other x-books or uh on uncanny and wolverine the x-men all that kind of world or are you staying in your own little corner no no i mean you know a lot a yeah. lot we we're we're the uh you know we, we were all at the x retreat um last february yeah february yeah, we were the three writers there and so we got to hear each other's plans and really talk things out and now we talk on the phone and fortunately we have the skype so kieran and i did a, a, a nice story session last week um <laughs> so do, do you have a story session with kieran and you talk for hours and then you hang up and then you go shit i don't know what he said <laughs> <laughs> well, for, no i mean because my 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 in-laws are, oh right are, yeah, yeah. Are, they're, they're very english as well and my wife is english and so i've I've sort of picked a bit of it up, you know, like when they say proper, they just mean like legitimate. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like when they, when they, say, yeah, and when they say aluminum, that's aluminum. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm, you know, having an English wife does, does help to decipher quite a bit, but nice. the, um, uh, no, the stuff interconnects quite a bit and I'm, I, I don't want to give away too much, but I will say that like, um, Schism adds um, a, a, another job to X Force on top of their already busy schedule that, that makes a lot of natural sense. And, and then the Dark Angel saga, uh, as well, then plays a real big role in both of those X Men books. Um, there are uh, elements that are being constructed in the Dark Angel saga, and the end result um, that we will see a lot of in the second arc of X Men and, and uh, Wolverine and the X Men and Uncanny X Men. Um, uh, so there's a, we're working hard to make the books feel more interconnected than they ever have, but in like really natural ways where it's like, hey, I've got this idea and it fits with your thing. And I go, well, what if I plug this in here? Because I, again, going back to what you said about Thor flying overhead, I think that um, when the writers are all, are all buddies and working together and trying to make sure that their stories interlock as opposed to sort of arm wrestling over who's going to get what toy, um, I think that the end, end result is, is a real quality line of you know, comic books. Cool. Excellent. Um, yeah, no, I mean, as an X-Men, I, I, like I, I said, I talked to Jason, we talked about Schism number one when it first came out, and I said, this is a great time to be an X-Men fan, and it's and part of it was my abject horror at Uncanny getting renumbered, but then I realized, I stepped back, and I said, no, I trust I trust you, and I trust Kieran, I trust Jason, it's, it doesn't matter what number's on the issue on the issue cover, it's just that they're, they're telling good stories and that having fun, and that's exactly what's happening right now, so I'm enjoying it. Yeah, and it really does make sense, it really will make sense, and it is exciting, and it, it is it does feel, I'm I'm really excited to be a, a part of it all right now, um, and, and I think that you know, given that Kieran and, and, and Jason and I are buddies and we like working together, I really, really think that the, the integration of the stuff is gonna is gonna be nice. I think people will respond to it. It, it, it. We want the family to feel like a family, and um, the, the and, and, and and you know, um, and, and the same with with tying into like you know Mar- Marjorie's X twenty three and, and Gishler's work on on the X Men book and, and these other things. 
um, we're all very mindful to to make sure that we we, we keep in close contact and yep. and share PDFs of the books and everybody's on the same page. And, you know, cool. Yeah, that, I, I I gotta say, Gishler on Adjective List is the most underrated book of the whole bunch. Like that's the book that every time I read, I'm like, wow, that guy knows how to write. So. Yeah, yeah, no, Gishler's great. Yeah. It, it, that book is super fun. Like the yeah. X Men team up. Cool. All right, so Venom, Uncanny X Force. It's it's a light. Uh, you got a light. You're not a lot of work in your plate. Do you, do you have anything else coming up soon, or you you got any more stuff you're working on? Um, the other stuff I have at Marvel will be announced soon. It's all <laughs> tease, very tease, exciting. Tease. <laughs> I, I do. I am. Uh, um, I did finish the. Uh, I'm almost finished with the uh, treatment for Last Days of American Crime Volume Two. Um, cool. Uh, Death or Glory. Um, ba, 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 um, and yeah. any any uh, w- w- is it true that we'll see the end of Fear Agent this fall? Is that the was that the word? It's done. It's been done, but we had to resolicit it, which yeah. then takes five months. You know, yeah. it's like this fucking system. <laughs> it, it's just it's just ridiculous. It's like you know the books were a couple the you know the first one they didn't ship because they wanted the last two to ship within a month of each other you know like they didn't want it to just be a straggling which I appreciate Dark Horse was dead to rights to do that but then the the second one was you know was done three or four weeks after the cutoff date for the original solicitation which meant it would have been returnable and and for some reason then that's a whole thing and and then they had to resolicit it. Which then means that you know they're five months out on solicitation, so it's like September, October, or October, November, or something like that. But God, I mean, it's—I'll send you the issues as PDFs. You can read them. You can do a do a you know, you can review them in advance if you want. But you know, it, it kills me because they've been done for so long, and everyone's like, "Where are those big burgers?" Yeah, I'm like, "Yeah, I know, man." All I can say is that when they come out, you have to go back and reread the the, the for at least that arc, because <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> it is like the last. It is it is basically the last you know forty five minutes of a of a movie or the last. You know, <laughs> well, it, I mean, we'll be sad to see it go, but we'll be good to close out that story and you know kind of uh, enjoy. You know, we've gushed over Fear Agent over the years, so we don't need to revisit that. But yeah, so. Yeah, no, you guys have been tremendously uh, supportive of it, and um, I appreciate you chatting me up about Strange Girl, and, you know, like, I I guess we just let everybody know that we'll, uh, we're running a bunch of Strange Girl stuff on the site, and hopefully people will try something out that they haven't tried out. I don't know what the fuck it is. So, so, I hope people will try something out that they will like to try out. So, so the Stranger on the bus is it's like 450 pages. Um, it's selling, for, I think, for 60 bucks, uh, 59.99. But you can get that discounted on Amazon, stuff like that. And um, right. and uh, it comes out in September, right? It comes out soon. So. Yeah, yeah. We're we're it's a it's a monster. We're putting that beast together now. So uh, I think that it'll probably be late September. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, Rick, I know you're busy, so you get you get back to work. But uh, I want to thank you for your time. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. And a big thanks goes out to Rick Remender for chatting with us. Um, if you haven't read Strange Girl, this on the bus is the perfect opportunity to do it. It's a great creator-owned series, one of my favorite of the 2000s. So you can check out the Strange Girl on the bus from Image Comics. It's due out in late September, maybe early October. Keep an eye on the shipping lists um, and definitely pick up Strange Girl on the bus. Tons of great goodies in it. It's definitely the way to go to read this uh, this wonderful series. Um, and also check out Uncanny X-Force and Venom from Marvel, as well as all the other great stuff Rick Remender does, including The End of Fear Agent, which is coming up this fall. Um, so yeah, 
Head over to ifanboy.com where you can check out all the other great podcasts and articles and comic shipping lists and all that fun stuff. And if you have any questions or suggestions of creators for us to talk to, shoot us an email at contact.ifanboy.com or you can follow us on twitter.com slash ifanboy. So until next time, I'm Ron and enjoy your comics. Money, but she doesn't even like me. <laughs>